We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Peterman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. And Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic. She covers the Rams for The Athletic. Uh, wrote a terrific feature on Jalen Ramsey that we discussed with her in the interview. Uh, we talk, we go in-depth on the Rams, maybe more in-depth than, than any other Niners podcast you're going to hear. Went way deep on the Rams and their offensive and defensive preparations. It's super fun. Really enjoy having Jordan on the pod. So let's get into that. And then we will do our pick six for the 49ers season finale. Potential last pick six of the year. We'll talk about that. Let's get into it. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. has got him and a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. Quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown 49ers. All right, Jordan Rodriguez here. Uh, she bailed on us last time because <laughs> some minor Rams news happened. But it's fine. They traded for Odell Beckham Jr. and and it is what it is. How how are how are things, Jordan? I mean, with an intro like that, how could they be bad? You know? Yeah, you're welcome. I feel like too to to share the full story also, like we were texting back and forth and you said, This probably isn't happening, right? <laughs> and I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I like, said, uh... Your podcast, as much as I would love to be there, uh, I am like up to my eyebrows right now. Thank you for your consideration. Yeah, of course. If, you broke if, that literally, story. I saw... yeah, Did, didn't ahead. you break that story, Jordan? Um, you were among the, the not first to sound like that it. person, but yeah, I did. I did no, do that. Yeah. I'm, and it was... I'm making sure you sound like that person. Yeah. Yeah. It was wild too. Cause, um, it was one of those days where you just, it's so cool being on a beat, right. Where you feel just something you come into the building and just something is different. So you start, you're like the hair on the back of your neck standing up because you're there every day and the Rams are known now for doing these kinds of things. And so like, when you have that feeling, you know, oh my God, you have to start asking questions and 
following up on things. And, and honestly, that was really how it was, was like how that happened was I just was like, I feel weird today. So I started asking people questions. <laughs> Are you in this? Is this really happening? Could this happen? And then Sean McVeigh came in and did his little Krabby Patty grin. And, uh, that was history at that point. You're yeah, two they- for two in like, don't know that this is happening, but watch the Rams on this and <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Twice it was like now. within the same two weeks. Yeah. Like yeah, two for unreal. two. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. The, the Niners media workroom is in the bowels of, of Levi's Stadium and it's it's windowless and, and sort of soulless. So it's hard to go in there with any sort of different feeling that something's happening. And, and we're very <laughs> far away from, from the football operations department. So we don't we don't quite get the uh the sense that things are happening in the same way. But no, great job on that. I, I haven't read your Jalen Ramsey story yet because I've been busy today, but I've bookmarked it and I'm going to check it out. And I've seen it. I've seen it do numbers today on, on social media. <laughs> and you're, you're also a, a new employee of the New York Times. So congratulations on that. Thanks. And does it change your life at all? Like, does that, does that change anything with your day-to-day, uh, w- with your day-to-day job at all? Yeah. I mean, I feel wealthy, you know, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. I'm still the same crusty person sitting on my crusty couch (laughs) talking to two two non-crusty people. Um, yeah, no, I really, uh, and and I, I don't know. It's my head spinning because it's been a crazy day. Like, you know, my, um, my story came out and I've been working on it for months and just been like, obsessively immersed in it, as you guys know how it goes when you have something like that. And it's just like, you think about it almost every second of every day. And you're like, oh my God, I need a break from thinking about this thing, but you don't get one because it's not out yet. And then like, and you care about it so much. And then all of a sudden, you know, you put it out and like, you're really relieved. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get a notification on your phone that your company's been sold, um, which was cool. I mean, it just was like, it's been an adventure and, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for what happens next and for all this news. And it's just been really fun kind of absorbing all of it so far. So you guys caught me on a weird day once again. (laughs) Yeah. You, you said that, well, you, you said you were like, weird stuff always happens on days. I'm going to join your podcast. Well, I'm a really cool person and deleted Twitter from my phone today. Please clap. Uh, and I was, I, te- I immediately texted Chris and our, and our favorite cast member, Nick Wagner. And I said, what happened with the Rams? Like what happened? And oh my gosh. Sorry the- to interrupt yeah. you. No, Nick I thought- Wagner and I are Instagram friends now. Oh, that's Congratulations. huge. Yeah. I don't think I follow you, Kyle, but you know, it's fine. It's not, it's <laughs> nothing to look at. It's okay. Um, no, so you had you had the the two big things happen today, and I want to start with the Jalen Ramsey story because um, I was reading, I, I I just kind of started it, and you had posted some excerpts from it, and I was reading it, and um, what a what did you learn about Jalen Ramsey that maybe you didn't know prior to that? Because I learned a lot, like my perception of him as a person just like dramatically shifted. Yeah, um, that story. I would say I am extremely grateful for being able to work on that story because I don't, I don't think I learned new things about him other than the, the details of uh, the really cool details to me were that he like hosts these basketball games just so he can study his teammates and how they move. Particularly, this is the cool part too. I had a lot of paragraphs, but you know, editing and like <laughs> the, the cool thing was um, 
he studies like how they move and leverage space because he was going to be working in a more compounded space this year as the star. And so he, he had to study how all of his teammates move their bodies in a very small compounded space, a half court basketball court in a pickup game in a fast twitch situation. And it, that blew my mind. I was like, that's wild. That's incredible. But we, we were just, the conversation was so naturally went there and, uh, was so organic. It was like, we went into the conversation and, and I started the conversation by asking him, you know, how's your headspace? Where are you at right now? And he just, start, he just went for it. He was so open to being challenged by the space of the interview, knowing that it was a profile, knowing that, you know, I was trying to dig a little bit deeper not only did he sort of accept that challenge, but then like kept raising the bar. So challenging me as an interview or as an interviewer. And, and it was just a fascinating thing because he didn't, he wasn't doing it intentionally. He wasn't being like, you know, I'm going to show off now or anything like that. He was doing it because that's how he is. And I realized that very quickly um, that this is a person who is seeking and is constantly just restless mind that is exploring new things, different things, trying to be more in a lot of different spaces. And um, so I kind of, I kind of knew that already because of conversations we'd had in the past. And then like just watching him every day, you guys know when you're on a beat, like you just see incremental change. And that's what I love about being a beat writer is you get to see change and growth over time. And you don't sometimes know it. You're kind of like, oh my God, I need a third cup of coffee and today sucks. And then, but you're watching people grow and evolve or devolve and change. And that's what I really, really love about being a beat writer. And I think applying that to him in particular, because the growth has been exponential in terms of him as a person. Um, he would probably say that too, of just how he, you know, you go through that second growing up in your twenties where you decide not who you want to be necessarily. You kind of know who you want to be, but in your twenties, you decide how you want to be. And I think mm -hmm. that's when he got to Los Angeles, he really leaned into that. And then everything was shut down his first full off season. And so at that point, you know, he's figuring out how to um, immerse himself into this new space and a lot of that's mental. And a lot of that is, um, you know, figuring out ways to connect with people and being challenged. And I think he is one of the more unique people I've ever covered um, or ever even met, honestly. And that to me, the only thing that really, it was a, a remarkable experience um, in the interview process, some of the epiphanies he had and the things that he would sort of figure out as we went and, um, you know, he carried the interview. Like I didn't do any, I basically just sat there like, <laughs> and like he, he really, um, set the bar really high. And then, um, the thing that I think I don't even want to say surprised because I kind of, I, I, I was telling a coach this, I was like, I knew he would be brilliant in this interview. What I didn't expect was that he would actively challenge himself within that space. Cause a lot of times when you get in these interviews, players are like, I checked the box, uh, you know, I figured out what, what her angle is and I've checked the box and I'm done. Jalen was like walking up to the PR people and saying, we need more time because I'm close to realizing something and I haven't figured it out yet. And yeah. I'm, but I'm almost there. And then saying, no, I, I need more time. 
And that was really remarkable to me. And it kind of was indicative of, of who he is. And that's why I kind of tried to break the fourth wall a little bit in the piece was because that was important to, for me to show that's how he analyzes every matchup. That's how he, I mean, there, it's just a constant process of challenging himself and challenging others. I can say as somebody who's covered the NFL since 2013, uh, I've never had an NFL player say, we need more time in this interview. <laughs> that's that's, what, that's, I was not to, that that's what I was trying to explain to people. I was like, because, because, doesn't happen. and then also Jalen, like, and, and you know, he is not obviously the person that a lot of people think he is, but when you first think of his interviews that he's done and like, and Jalen was our good guy award winner this year too, by the way, um, mm. because he has worked so hard at going out of his way to um, just, to just make those podium sessions and media interactions, just, uh, just more. And um, he like, when you think, but when you think on the surface, you think Jalen Ramsey, you don't think, no, after we were given 30 minutes by PR and then he waves off PR after 30 minutes, and then he's almost late for practice and his alarm is going off. And then he walks up to the PR official after an hour and 15 minutes. And he says, we need to put a second session on the schedule. Like, I'm like, okay, don't move <laughs> <laughs> an hour. Don't that's, that's a very it's long just, interview. It's just incredible. That's- yeah. It was just, it was incredible. Well, um, I, I need to go read the story. I'm looking forward to diving into that. Um, but I, we, we do need to get to the game on Sunday. And I mean, what, what's fascinating about the game is, I mean, there's so many fascinating things about it. But from a broad standpoint, the 49ers need to win to make the playoffs. Um, they could potentially back in with a loss if the Falcons upset the Saints. But they absolutely cannot go into this game against the Rams thinking that that's going to happen. So they're, they're basically playing in a situation where it's win or go home. And for the Rams, there are some things on the line too, in that they could potentially be as high as the number two seed. They obviously want a home game, at least to start the playoffs. Um, so, you know, we, we've talked about what's at stake for the 49ers and, and we'll dive into the quarterback situation a, a little bit later too, but what's at stake for the Rams? Like how, how big is this game for the Rams? Um, not only from a standings standpoint, but also um, the fact that I'm, I'm sure they're dying to to break that five game losing streak they've had to the 49ers. Yeah, honestly, I think the latter is more top of mind at this point. I don't I mean, they obviously want the seating that's advantageous to them. I think any team would want that and have that in their mind. But more so the emotional side of it is, oh, my God, we have not beat this team in a while. Five, what, five games at mm-hmm. this point? And not just that, but also come into the matchup feeling really confident most of the time, sometimes playing against depleted 49ers teams and then still just completely, you know, just fumbling the bag at some point. And I think that um, that's, that's the emotional thing for them is, is that they, they understand what's at stake with the playoffs. They know what they could gain. But I think more importantly to them is what they have to lose, which is sort of that pride of, you know, these guys have our number at this point and confidently have our number. I mean, I was reading some of the the quotes um, today and some of the transcripts and everything. And it was like very confidently, you know, these guys know that they have beat the Rams, you know, five times. And I think that, and and that's fair. If you've done that, be confident, right? Like that's, I think that's fair. And so it's, um, it's really interesting to me because 
every time these guys go head to head, I always think this could go either way. And obviously the last five times it's gone the 49ers way, but you really have this sense leading into most of these matchups that this could really go either way. And even though I would still say right now, the Rams have the advantage in this game. And I think they're favored. I haven't checked recently, but yeah, it's like four and a half points, still, I think. Yeah, but but still, it, it could be it could be more. And I, I you still think, and and a lot of these NFC West games go like this, is you still think it could go either way. And and this matchup, I mean, it just grinds Sean McVay's gears. You can just tell. I mean, something happens to that guy when he faces this team, and you can just tell that they are getting their the very best that San Francisco has. Um, schematically design-wise planning, you could tell there's just a different level of preparation when it comes to um, trying to beat these guys and they've been successful at it. So I think that that even more than seeding, seeding obviously is great, but even more than that, this is like, okay, we got to get this done at some point should be now. So, so not to brag, but I was on a Rams podcast and um, Whoa. the, the host, the host, the host, posited that because Kyle Shanahan knows Sean McVay so well, he knows how to push McVay's like coaching buttons and get him like out of his rhythm or out of his, out of his comfort zone a little bit. Do you buy into that at all? Um, I think it's, I think it's more like you, you understand what moves and counter moves would be. I don't know if it's pushing buttons. I think it does bother Sean McVay. If he can't beat Kyle Shanahan, I think it would bother any, anybody, but I think it's more like, um, you've existed in a space with somebody for so long and I'm a twin. So I kind of like, I kind of think about it this way, you know, exactly what they're going to do and you have the counter move for it. And then they have a counter move for you. And it's basically like who can make less mistakes. And a lot of times these Sean McVay teams have made more mistakes. And you certainly saw this in the last time, uh, the last time around, uh, absolutely. And the, and the 49ers were able to go with their sort of a plus plan in that regard, um, because of early mistakes. And I think that's ultimately what gets under Sean McVay's skin is if it's something out of his control, some of these mistakes or execution failures, things like that. And he knows then at that point, what Kyle Shanahan is going to do against him when they do make those mistakes. It's almost like you're standing on the tracks and you're watching the train coming at you, but you can't move because you've put yourself there. And it's, it's just, it's a fascinating dynamic to me. Um, But I do think less so, Oh, he just knows how to get under his skin more. So Sean knows what's coming. If the Rams do mess up early on or, you know, second, third quarter knows how that will be counterreacted to knows what's coming and you can't do anything to stop it. If, if your own side, whether it's play calling or execution has messed up first. Um, I think it's just who messes up first. That's the, that's the big thing. <laughs> so Matthew Stafford has six interceptions in his last three games. <laughs> good segue. Nice. <laughs> really good. Nice. Well, and, I mean, the, the thing with the, the story of the 49ers season has pretty much been the turnover battle. Like there's there's a direct correlation and this isn't like super great analysis or anything, but there's a direct correlation between what happens in, in the turnover margin and and games for the 49ers. And they've lost the significant majority of their games um, when they don't win the turnover battle. So um, what's, what's been your impression of, of Stafford these last few games and in terms of those turnovers? Um, and is it something that they can, that, that 
I mean, obviously they're focused on it, but is it something in your mind that, that they can clean up for Sunday? Um, or is it something that they're just, that's just sort of a characteristic of the team, like it is, has been with the 49ers throughout the, throughout the season. Um, and they just need to play through that. Yeah. I think, um, like they, they have shown that they can overcome being in the turnover deficit. So I think that's, it's not sustainable, but the Rams have shown that resilience and, and that's something that they've been really proud of the last couple of weeks. Um, the turnovers, they're absolutely fixable. Um, a couple of them are, you know, miscommunication, mistiming with route running and, um, the, the strip sack was just not, I mean, it was just kind of a freak thing. Um, a couple of Matthew's turnovers have been on him and, you know, you can attribute them to a lot of different things. And Sean McVay certainly does do that. Um, because he wants us to know (laughs) it's not all Matthew's fault. Um, which is fine. That's fine. Go to bat for your quarterback. We've heard the same thing about the table to trade for. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I think part of it though, is like this, the, the fan base is realizing what this team came to terms with a long time ago, which is that you're going to get Matthew Stafford and you're going to get all the the great parts of Matthew Stafford. And you're going to get one personality of his arm, which has a very high ceiling and leads the league in EPA and explosive pass play rate and like just insane stats and all of this stuff and, and hits Cooper cup. Like he can do it with his eyes closed and all of these things. And then you also get darkly chaotic Matthew Stafford, who is a frightening arm personality that just turns the ball over, but then somehow you lose that person in like the third, fourth quarter. And the Rams came to terms with this a long time ago, um, partially because they know what the ceiling is. And the debate here is like, obviously, was he worth it? And was he worth the pick value? And, And what I think people lose in that is the Rams weren't just trading for a quarterback. They were also trading to get out of what they felt was an untenable situation um, or what Sean McVay specifically felt was an untenable situation. So when you know what a ceiling is for a guy and you think you can win a substantial amount of games with that part of an arms personality, um, but you also get the person and that person is calm and resilient. That person is collaborative. That person is, um, unflappable in terms of some of these things that happen and then can come back and go 14 for 14 in the fourth quarter and, and, you know, have a game winning drive. That's kind of a net positive for you. So I think that's what they feel they have in Matthew Stafford. Um, the, the turnovers, like, again, this is is not to, to excuse them at all. Like, they are fixable in my opinion. I think some of them, you know, just timing and miscommunication and then also like just bad throws at, at some parts. And so I think you're not going to be able to win games the way that they've been winning the last couple of weeks. They certainly can't win games like this against the 49ers um, who will go ball control against them. No problem. Um, but it, it's just, which personality are you going to get moving into the playoffs is like the big question facing them right now. So I was a big Matthew Stafford guy when he was in Detroit. I always thought that a lot of his issues were related to that team and not necessarily him. Like people say, well, he's, he's only, only been to the playoffs once. He's never won a playoff game. And it's like, well, yeah, that team was terrible. This is a way better (laughs) team. And the last three weeks, my friends who I would go back and forth with this honor, like, see, look, 
end of the season. He's thrown six interceptions the last three games. They're not going to be able to do it in the playoffs. So you mentioned the feel in the building and how you feel something a little different. Is that like, is that a vibe in the building? Like, Hey, this is a monkey that we've got to get off Matthew Stafford's back. Or is it just kind of a, that's what's in the past is kind of in the past. And um, this is the Rams now and they're moving beyond that. Yeah, it's a good question. I just, I just feel like they're very calm, um, which is weird because they have lost some games that they shouldn't have lost. And the last month and a half was complete chaos for them. Um, but they've felt very um, sort of stable through all of that. And I do think a part of that is because they've accepted, uh, they've accepted what they cannot change, <laughs> right? And, and I think they, they've also accepted that Um, this guy's going to try to find a way to win no matter what, and we'll be composed in doing so. And we'll be creative in doing so. And, and Sean McVay, I think feeds off of that as well. And, and there's not a sense of, of panic or, and that's kind of overall, I mean, they've dealt with um, kind of a crazy last month and a half with, you know, 32 guys on the COVID list. And then um, they couldn't practice at their own facilities because there was um, get this torrential rains in Los Angeles Um, and so I know wild. And so they couldn't practice at their facilities and, and there was just all kinds of stuff going on with these guys, um, for, you know, almost six weeks where you didn't have a normal week for any one of those weeks. And so I think, um, it was weird because it was almost like they needed the chaos to be stable. And so now this last week when they didn't have any chaos, Matthew Stafford throws three pit or three, two interceptions and turns the ball over a third time. And you're like, is there something psychological happening where you're I'm concerned (laughs) about you, or you think you need this in your life in order to succeed. But, um, but it was really interesting. So I think that's more so what it is. I don't think it's a, what if, or if then I think it's more of a, this may happen and we've been through worse. So let's get out of this right now. And, um, it's really, that's really interesting to me because, um, I've been around teams that have panicked. I've been around Rams teams that have panicked, um, been around teams that have, have been steady, um, have been, you know, have, have lost hope, have been, you know, just unstoppable. Um, but this is almost like, um, I kind of describe it to people as like, it just feels, they feel secure almost. And I don't know if that ultimately gets you a deep playoff run, but it is an interesting feeling to have around there right now. So obviously the big discussion with the 49ers is, is revolving around the quarterback situation. And I, you know, I've, I've read some quotes and and seen that it sounds like the Rams are preparing for both guys. Um, So could you just elaborate sort of on, on what you've heard from, you know, from them, the players and, and the coaches in terms of how they're approaching the quarterback situation, given that there are very different versions of the 49ers offense with Trey Lance at quarterback and, and with Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback. Yeah, it's interesting because um, part of it, you know, you think is like, we know what you're trying to do and we're not falling for it. You know, it's all the gamesmanship <laughs> that happens this time of year. Um, but part of it, I do think it's the Rams, um, understanding that they might see a quarterback who, um, can move the pocket a little bit more, um, who can utilize his legs, get first downs, who has maybe, uh, and, and, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Trey Lance this year. Obviously it was Jimmy Garoppolo leading up to the last Rams game and he did the, the third down 
plan that was what what was asked of him and he executed very well and and the Rams couldn't um, really do much to stop that but um, this time around they're expecting it to be different Um, Raheem Morris today was saying you know and and you know he was in these coaching rooms and meetings with Kyle Shanahan a long time ago and he was like whatever you think Kyle Shanahan's going to do he's probably going to try something different Um, and so I, I do think that they're I almost think that they're preparing for a bit of a kitchen sink game where a lot of things will be tried and the successful option will be, you know, spammed a little bit. Um, and I think the 49ers are well coached enough to be able to do something like that. Um, and I think the Rams on the other side, maybe would, will are thinking that they might try the same thing. Um, so it's going to be interesting, but I do think, you know, you, <laughs> I don't think that they think that Jimmy Garoppolo is really hindered by the hand. Uh, I don't get a sense that they believe that that's really a thing um, that would stop him from getting, you know, meaningful reps. But I also don't think that they think that they're not going to see Trey Lance. Um, So I think they're just kind of preparing for what they've seen on film. And that's really all they can do. And, uh, you know, sometimes a lot of multiplicity in there. Um, But you know, they've got a lot of options on their scout team, you know, that kept Bryce Perkins on their active roster, the entire season running their scout team with John Walford, um, preparing for, you know, teams that can run two quarterback systems in this regard. So, um, you know, I think they're just thinking that Kyle Shanahan is going to throw whatever he can at them, um, and get them to mess up early and then go ball control on them. Like he always does. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be interesting. You said you haven't watched a lot of Trey Lance this year. Well, neither have we. So, um, right. Yeah. I was like, well, same same boat Uh, as everybody. Yeah. I want to stick on the Rams defense real quick. Um, has there been a discernible jump since the Von Miller acquisition? Um, I don't think it was sudden, but it's been a gradual curve upward because what they're able to do now is they're able to rush four more frequently. Um, Mm -hmm. so they can be more creative with their back end coverage plan. And this is a staple of this defense is being creative with your back end coverage plan. Um, you have to have coverage plan in there. Otherwise it sounds really weird. Right. Right, So I always (laughs) make sure my back end is covered. Right. Yes. So, um, they, what, what's really good. And, and you, you want to do that because you have Jalen Ramsey and you have, um, Dante Dion, who's really stepped up as a versatile guy. Darius Williams is, is now playing really good ball for them after a little bit of a wobbly start to the year. Um, you have Jordan Fuller and Taylor Rapp, guys who are, are movable. They can rotate and do a lot of different things. And Raheem Morris also likes to design a lot of different types of pressure and, and all of that. So um, being able to do that with, uh, you know, maybe pick your spots more selectively instead of feeling like you always have to be doing that is really important. Um, Von Miller is definitely an addition in that regard where he's just acquiring attention, right? And the the production, you really saw it against the run, which was really interesting to me. You saw it a lot against the run early on in his acquisition, um, but now you're seeing it a little bit more in the, in the pass rush. And last week was really big for him because now that's on tape. And so teams have to be a little bit more aware of him as well as, um, you know, Aaron Donald, good luck with that. Um, and then Leonard Floyd on the other side, and then Greg Gaines, who's really having a good season. So being able to use just those four guys and then rotate Ashawn Robinson in there, that's really, really important to them because now they can get a lot more creative with what they're going to do with their DBs and some of their sub packages. Um, and they 
they are down their starting linebacker um, in Ernest Jones, who is really promising um, rookie talent. And, you know, you want to be able to be a little bit more creative with what you can do with the back half, um, especially minus a linebacker who can move, which is who Ernest is. And then now you've got Troy reader who has had good games and is pretty, you know, solid against the run, but on passing downs, you know, was getting just targeted all day by Jimmy Garoppolo, especially on third down. And so, you know, you want to be able to bring that pressure just with four, especially with Vaughn rushing effectively um, in order to sort of cover some of those issues that you had in the past, and then also be more creative and assertive in what you're doing in the coverage. So in, in terms of defending the 49ers, I mean, it, it really all starts with the run and then, you know, it, and some of that includes Debo Samuel, right? And then George Kittle is obviously a big part of that because of his blocking and then what he can do as a pass catcher, especially in play action and things like that. So is I, I, I think Jalen Ramsey is probably the best defender equipped to, to play those guys. So one thing that sort of stood out in recent matchups is that the Niners have found a way to avoid Jalen Ramsey. Is, is that. Which is smart. I mean, I don't get why here's <laughs> right. the thing. Like I know it annoys him because he's commented on that. Like they used the Seahawks were doing that with DK Metcalf. They were like just mm-hmm. motioning him away from Jalen all the time last year. <laughs> and it was funny. Cause it was like, uh, someone said, uh, well, I don't, I'm paraphrasing. Cause I don't remember the exact quote. Someone was like, yeah, you can keep hiding, hiding him. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't you? That's a smart thing to do. You know, right. you don't want to have that matchup happening all the time. You, you'd like to put your, you know, players in advantageous leverages against good players. Um, but yeah, to, I interrupted you, but to your point, yes, they are. That was a really creative plan in my, in my opinion. Um, especially sort of eliminating Jalen from the passing plays by putting Debo in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you keep him, uh, almost immovable in the box like that, you make him have to account for the run. And that was really detrimental to the Rams was their inflexibility in that the first time around. And I think they did learn from that because you saw, um, you've seen a couple of other teams maybe try to almost mimic that before motioning back out and the Rams didn't move. Right. So I think, I think they've learned again, it's Debo Samuel, who's an amazing player. So you really, you really don't know how it's going to go, but it, it was very interesting to see kind of that like, Oh shit moment when yeah. that was happening uh, way back in November and then watch them try to sort of game by game, develop a better plan when, when those types of things happen. Um, I had one last question, but I'm going to squeeze something else in here because I feel like we would be doing a bad job, uh, as a podcast, if we didn't mention Cooper cup. So like, how about Cooper oh, cup, huh? Quite a player. I've never, <laughs> I've, I've never, uh, I've never heard of him. What's his deal. Uh, it's a wide receiver. When did mm. you probably didn't, Eastern Washington guy, big sky. Stand oh, up. So he would have gone um, under the radar then probably. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, except on, except on <laughs> Nineswire.com, There's a glowing feature about how awesome of a receiver he's going to be in the NFL. Oh, who wrote uh, it? Anyways, uh, uh, I did actually, I think I wrote that one. But what if just like, all right. So look, I, I, uh, not again, not to brag. I always thought Cooper Cup was going to be a good player and he's been a good player, but is it just the addition of Matthew Stafford that has gotten him to this like all time great season this year? I was going to say something mean. I won't say something. Oh, mean. do it. No, no, don't no do it, do say, it, do it. say, say please, something. Please mean, do Kyle. it. Oh my God, please do it. His head's too big. 
at this point. No, not toward. No, I wasn't going to say it toward Kyle at all. I was going to oh, say okay. something mean about. I would. I'm not going to do it. But okay. okay, when this stops, you owe us the mean thing you're. I'll say, say but don't tweet it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. I would say fairly the multiplicity of this offense more so now than previously is what is really helping Cooper cup have the season. I think she was going to say that Jared Goff stinks. Okay. No, (laughs) because they had some great success with each other. And then obviously Cooper Mm -hmm. was injured and then he missed a game last people forget he missed a game last year due to COVID. Um, and he would have gone over a thousand yards at that point. Um, if he didn't miss a game last year, but, um, but yeah, it, I think when you saw the thing that, that really made a difference this year was he helped build this offense with Sean McVay and with Matthew Stafford. It wasn't like, okay, here's Cooper. You're going to throw to him a lot. You guys go have lunch. You know, like it wasn't like that at all. (laughs) It was Cooper cup with 16 play sheets out at OTAs. Um, and then they, um, they had a receiver, JJ Koski, they had a receiver, like pretend to be Cooper and run all of his concepts, you know, in a, a kind of a scout team format, but on the first team offense, except Matthew was not throwing the ball, Matthew standing back with Cooper and they're like, um, puppet masters. They're like calling the plays together and designing things. And Cooper's talking him through all of his choice routes. And this is where I like to go. And, oh, JJ, come over here and let me tell you. So you take this turn at this point at this angle and then take three steps and then go the other way. And then here's this route I like to run. Okay, you do that and we're going to watch. And then we're going to talk through it so you know what it looks like. So then there's what I like the ball right now. And it's it was it was nuts, guys. Like, it was insane. I, I mean, it was really cool to watch because you could see them stacking the pieces on top of each other. Um, all of the building blocks of this offense, I've never seen this offense reverse engineered in this way before. And you obviously don't get a ton of time at OTAs. Um, but the time you got to see, it was like, I mean, it was really cool. And those guys working together, I didn't know what was coming for Cooper in terms of the success he's had. And obviously about to you know, maybe seal that triple crown in week 18, but, um, you got a sense that something was going to happen. And I think it, a lot of it was just, um, just the work that they put in, but also like the collaboration, the creativity, and then Sean McVay saying to them both, like, okay, you come back to me when you figured it out, like you guys tell me and, and them literally like Cooper literally, um, you know, putting a twist on a route that he'd always run and, and like literally drawing it on a, on a card on his hand and then them running it in practice. And then, you know, six weeks later they ran it in a game and he scored a touchdown and like, it just all kinds of wow. stuff that's been going on. That's like, it's really cool football, like backyard stuff, but it also has a purpose and it also has like a methodology and a science behind it. And like, so I think that's been, that's been the biggest difference is that ownership of what they're doing. Um, and that trust that's built off that ownership and obviously Cooper's ability, um, it stands out regardless, but in terms of that next level, I think that, um, those things are the variables that have helped him go from a really, really good receiver in this league to someone who is now making history. We're going to get you out on this. Who's, who's winning Sunday. You guys know, I hate doing this. (laughs) 
I, I, okay. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to totally just take the easy way out. Like this really could it. go either way, honestly, yeah. to me. I, I mean, I know that San Fran is like, you guys hate what I do. I hate predictions. I'm going to quote no, you on that. It could make, go either way. I never make predictions. Like <laughs> I, I like just don't look at Slack during, you know, on Thursdays and Fridays that I'm not asked to make prediction pieces by my editors. Like hope the New York times is listening to me saying that. <laughs> but, um, like, they do the entire newsroom right now. They're, locked they're into Candle yeah, they've got you up on a projector. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think, um, I, I, honestly, I kind of felt this way when the Cardinals beat the Rams earlier in the year where I felt like, okay, it's been long enough. Like it's time this has to happen. Um, but I've seen a lot of chaotic Matthew Stafford over the last couple of weeks <laughs> that I just, I can't sure. fully commit to it. I will say this, this is much of, like much more of a rambling segment than you probably intended, but this is how I am. This is why you no, don't ask wonderful. me to predict things you, like, <laughs> okay. So I, I could see the Rams winning this game because it's time they're due. There's a lot at stake. There's emotional pride, there's seating and all that stuff. But if the Rams make mistakes early, the 49ers will win this game. All right. I dig it. I like it. That's as firm as I will go. (laughs) I like it. No, that's good. That's good. It could go either way, though. And we're going to hold you to that. Yeah. Scientifically speaking. Yeah, it could. All right. Uh, I think that's all we have for you. You've been incredibly generous with your time. Um, thank you so much. And when the 49ers and Rams play next year, we will hit you up again for sure. Or, or yeah, maybe next I, week. You know what? And I heard <laughs> or, that could go either way too. Probably. Yeah. That's also <laughs> source confirms, uh, that could go either way as well. Uh, Jordan, thank you. Thanks Jordan. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. I feel like Jordan is the kind of person that you could start a podcast and be like, "Hey, talk to us about the Rams." And she would just answer in like way better depth and give you better answers than any question you were going to ask. I just wish she was a little nicer. Yeah, she definitely. She's very rude. 
<laughs> very very rude <laughs> um no she was great and uh and yeah she's she's very like she she does a really good job just i, I and i've talked to her before outside of the pod just like she does a very good job of, of just noticing very small things happening on a football field and then being able to expand on it in her coverage um yeah. so yeah she she's she does a really good job and and that uh, a bunch of the things she talked about in in um in that hit with us was uh was you know exemplified that so um it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting game we, i think we got to talk about the quarterback situation though first yeah i was gonna say something that that you've probably noticed being out of practice is jimmy garoppolo throwing i can't tell from videos but um it feels like the fact that he's practiced these two days and is out there throwing. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I just, what do you, who do you, who's, who's Chris, tell us right now who's going to start and don't say it can go either way. <laughs> so um, I won't say it can go either way. So we, uh, we spoke to Jimmy Garoppolo over zoom on Wednesday and that was the clip that's gone viral that I'm sure everybody who's listening to this podcast has heard or seen that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo using using an expletive that starts with an F talking about how much his thumb hurts um, and just the overall tone in his voice and the way he was talking about the injury. I came out of that interview session being like, man, I do. I'm not optimistic. I wasn't optimistic before that, but I came out of that interview session thinking like, man, there really doesn't seem like a way Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play. And then a couple hours later, we went out on the practice field Wednesday and watched him throw. And I'm standing there with Nick Wagner and Eric Branch and Tracy Sandler and he's he's spinning it really well like he's if if you didn't know he had an injury and you didn't see the wrap on his right thumb you wouldn't think anything's different right Mm -hmm. and he was throwing a better ball than trey lance like when trey lance goes to throw like obviously trey lance has a bigger arm right but trey lance doesn't consistently throw a spiral as well as jimmy garoppolo does so some of trey Mm -hmm. lance's balls are a little bit off or throw passes are a little bit off axis and uh and jimmy jimmy's passes were on point and he was throwing, throwing with velocity and he was and and to be fair this was like warm-ups right this isn't like an actual football situation when we go out to practice we watch like the first 20 30 minutes or whatever quarterbacks are just throwing on air so it looked like jimmy garoppolo was throwing it well the question is does is his thumb going to be worse for wear after two or three practices um, going into Sunday? We had we didn't see you know what eleven on eleven looked like with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing passes. Is he going to be confident in his thumb? Talking about you know listening to him talk about how much it hurts and how it feels like the webbing in his thumb is tearing a little bit every time he throws. Like it just it sounded like he's going if he plays, he's going to be going through a lot of pain. Right. But just based on the way it looked visually at practice on Wednesday, and I wasn't out there Thursday, but it just seemed like he's, he might, he, there's a pretty good chance he starts. It looks like a pain tolerance thing. It what? Yeah, it wasn't. At least that's what it sounds like. Like it, there's no discernible, like you said, there's no, there's no discernible like difference in his passes. It, it wasn't like the ball was really bad. It wasn't like the right. ball was fluttering on him, right. at least in the passes that we saw. Right. So you know, like 
my, I tend my, to think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to start after seeing that. I do too. Just based on everything we've heard from Kyle Shanahan this year, like if Jimmy Garoppolo can play, he's going to play. They're not going to switch it up in week 18 and go, hey, you know what? We saw two quarters from Lance and two of those quarters are pretty strong. So let's just go with that. But the question I have is, if Jimmy Garoppolo is taking the reps all week in practice, and maybe he's not, like maybe Trey Lance is taking all the reps and Garoppolo is getting his warmups in and trying to throw as little as possible and just getting those mental reps in because he knows the system. But what happens if, because Dr. Narav Pandya from UCSF Hospitals was on the show I produce, and he said it's getting the swelling down, it's getting the pain to a tolerable level, because that 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 ligament's not relatching in two weeks. Like that's just not a thing the body does. So he said it's about getting swelling down, getting the pain to a tolerable level. What happens when he gets hit? Right. Like what happens if he makes a throw? Is he going to be timid with his throws if the pockets collapse? Like that's those are the questions I have. If you tell him like, yeah, hey, he's going to have a clean pocket, he's going to be able to set up and he's going to be able to throw, I think it'll be fine. But what happens if, you know, that hand gets hit or he hits a helmet um, or he gets tackled awkwardly like he did with Danico Autry? And then you have to put Trey Lance in who has taken half the reps, maybe, if any. Like, did he run scout team all week? That's my biggest question is if there's a situation where Garoppolo aggravates that injury and cannot continue, is Lance going to be ready in a must-win game? Or is it, yeah, hey, you know, scrap everything. He's not he's not ready to go. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we won't know until Sunday. What what I what, what I've been thinking about today is the idea that like is could this be the game that Shanahan goes with the two quarterback system? Mm. Right? Could could this be the one where it's like, all right, we need we need something. Like we need the offense. Mm-hmm. We need that. This is it, right? Like they need to win this game to make the playoffs. Right. So is this going to be a scenario where they finally do the thing that Shanahan alluded to in August where it's like, yeah, Taysom Hill, Drew Brees. I think it, there's a unique opportunity, right? Because it would be entirely unscouted, right? Like the Rams could say they're preparing for both, but when it's happening in real time and you're rotating quarterbacks, like that's that could be a very difficult thing to deal with during the game. On the mm. other hand, are can Kyle Shanahan call an offense and be in rhythm as a play caller uh, when he has to do that? Because he's talked about the difficulties in that not, you know, not being prepared necessarily for defenses in the way they approach Trey Lance, whereas he knows exactly how to counterpunch basically everything a defense does when Jimmy Garoppolo is his quarterback. And he's still in that feeling out process with Trey in terms of figuring out what to run when a defense throws things that throws things at him that they're not necessarily expecting. Right. And so that's, that's part of the chess match and and part of the calculus that I'm sure Kyle Shanahan's dealing with this week is like, do I have an opportunity to play both guys and can I do it in a way that makes sense for the offense and keeps everybody in rhythm Because one thing I think is true about Kyle Shanahan's offense is that rhythm is super important. Totally. Right. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. they they can't like every play is tied together in the sense that like, all right, this outside run, uh, this outside zone run opens up play action out of this look. And then this passing concept opens up 
uh, a run here based on formation and then and all those things like everything that Kyle Shanahan does offensively is tied together and a lot of what he does sets up things later in the game right so there's an element of there's an element of that becoming a lot more difficult when you have two different quarterbacks that you that that you're trying to play mm-hmm. but maybe sort of everything that's happened this season and particularly the last couple of weeks has led up to that idea they're like, mm-hmm. all right, this is our kitchen sink game. And we really need this one. And, you know, the Rams are probably the better team and probably the more talented team. Well, I don't know, more talented in terms of anyway, that, that's a different discussion. Right. Totally. The Rams are 11 and four. <laughs> Niners are nine and seven. 12 and um, four. What's that? 12, 12 and four? four. 12 and four. They play 16. 12 and four. 12 and four. Yeah. Um, Rams are 12 and four. Niners are nine and really seven. Really thrown me off. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the point here is like, is Kyle Shanahan going to bring out all the stops in that way? Is that going to be part of it? Um, and, mm-hmm. and my, if you were to ask me right now, like what I think is going to happen at quarterback, I think Jimmy Garoppolo starts, but I also think there's not, there's, there's a likelihood that Trey Lance plays, um, either because Kyle Shanahan wants to incorporate Trey Lance and play both, or because like you said, like, how's Jimmy Garoppolo going to deal with, um, you know, if he gets hurt and he plants his hand to to try to brace himself from a fall or he hits his hand on a follow through like, you know, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo play hurt before and aggravate injuries like that's happened before. So there's a pretty even if Garoppolo starts, there's a reasonable chance that Trey Lance gets in there. Uh, it just kind of I guess it'll be up to Kyle Shanahan in, in what capacity. And and the question, too, for for me is something Jordan Rodriguez said really stuck out to me. She said she thinks this game will come down to who can make less mistakes. And obviously Trey Lance is a rookie going against a good defense with a lot of good players on it. He's prone to mistakes. But with Garoppolo, you guys you guys in practice seem spinning it against air. He's not great under pressure anyways. Is he going to be favoring that thumb where he doesn't want to follow through all the way? And now his pass to George Kittle is sailing over the middle and it gets intercepted. Like that's that's going to be the question I have. That's going to be the concern I have. Is not so much can he drop back and, and get rid of it? Can he can he do that without favoring it at all? Because I think if he does, I mean we've seen what happens. He starts sailing throws, he starts missing, missing open throws, he starts double clutching and patting the ball and um, not being as decisive and when he's decisive and getting rid of the football, he's, he's good, but I have questions about his ability to play hurt. Yes. Same. And that's, I, 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 I'm not pushing back against him starting, but I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that I think you have to have some kind of two quarterback thing ready. If for nothing else that Lance gets reps in practice that week. I think, and, Rich, I think Lance has gotten reps in practice. Like I, I think part yeah. of, you know, part of the Jimmy Garoppolo injury situation is that they're not going to give him the same number of reps because, you know, they, they do need to keep that thumb healthy and the fewer times he throws, you know, the, the fewer opportunities there are for him to aggravate the injury or make it worse or whatever. Um, so I do think Lance is getting work this week, <clears throat> which is why it, it potentially could make sense for him to play and, and Kyle Shanahan to go with a two quarterback system. 
because you actually are working both guys this week. Otherwise, I mean, if, if Jimmy Garoppolo gets half the reps and Trey Lance is getting the other half, and then you go into the game and play Jimmy Garoppolo and not Trey Lance, you're kind of just wasting half of your practice reps, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think like, that's right. It's a big game. So you want to, you want to maximize your preparation. So, um, unless it's, unless it's short leash on Garoppolo, you know, first drive, he sales one and that's it. it I'm I guessing mean, it, here, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing out because like everything's on the table here. No, absolutely. I think that's another element of it too. Like there definitely could be a short leash with Garoppolo. Like Kyle Shanahan has had a short leash, a short leash with Jimmy Garoppolo before, but not in the sense of benching him in the sense of like, all right, you throw a pick, we're going to run every single play now. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to run the ball. You're going to throw eight passes in the NFC championship game because I don't really trust you. Right. Right. And so like it, there's that side of it too. Like, and, and I, fortunately for the 49ers, like they have Elijah Mitchell, you know, they have George Kittle, they have Debo Samuel, they have Brandon. Ayuk, like they have all hands on deck for this one. They're not, mm-hmm. they don't have any huge glaring absences on offense. Like, Who's the only who's the guy they're missing on off? It's like Mike McGlinchey and they have all their other starters, right? Trent Williams hasn't practiced. We're recording. Trent Williams has not practiced. Um, Kyle Shanahan said Wednesday that he's expecting Williams to play, but he's sure. Trent Williams doesn't normally practice Wednesday. He's dealing with an elbow injury. He did not practice Thursday. Not like um, he needs the reps. What'd you say? I said it's not like he needs the reps. Oh yeah, it's not like he needs the reps. Yeah. Um. Uh, here's, here's another thing I have on this and then we can, and then we can get to pick six, but I wonder too, if Lance's second half and how well he played in the second half against Houston, I wonder if that colors Shanahan's decision-making at all, knowing that, Hey, if you just kind of run the same offense, you can get results because the quarterback's throwing the ball down the field or you're going to get a little bit different result because he's throwing it down the field, but you can mostly just run the same offense. It doesn't have to be this weird college offense. Right. That's I'm wondering too, if that like putting Lance in and just running a regular play and like letting him roll out and throw it instead of trying to do something weird and exotic. Like, I don't think it has to be that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's really hard to say, right? Because it could go either way. Kyle Shanahan is very stubborn and it could go either way. Um, Like does Kyle Shanahan think he can win with a version of Jimmy Garoppolo where like all of his throws are within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage? Cause that's, I mean, when Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, that's sort of what the offense already looks like when he's compromised. I would imagine it's not like, all right, Jimmy's hurt. So now we're going to huck it, you know, 40 yards downfield 10 times that that's not going to happen. Right. So does Kyle Shanahan decide like, yeah, you know, like we, we, like we talked about earlier in the week with Mark Schofield, like swing for the fences with a guy who might strike out a bunch of times, but could also hit 40 homers in a season over a guy who's going to hit 10 to 15 homers. And, but he'll hit, you know, 280 for you instead of 220. Right. Um, it's anybody's guess really, but it's, it's a very I- interesting situation to be going into because it's because everything's on the line it's not it's not just a regular game here's what they can't do i don't think that he can go in he being shanahan go in and say 
Um, okay, Garoppolo is going to start. He's going to play all the snaps. But then the Niners get down 10 nothing, And the offense doesn't look great. And he goes, okay, let's pull the plug on that. It's not going to work. Let's put Lance in. Right. That's the, that's the one thing, like when you talk about everything being on the table, that's the one thing I don't think can be on the table. It can't be pulling Garoppolo out of panic. Like if there has to be some kind of plan. Yeah, I agree. Like if you're, if you're willing to pull Jimmy Garoppolo after a couple series because it's not effective, like he shouldn't have started to begin with. Correct. Right. Um, so yeah, I agree with you on that. My, my opinion is I would start Trey Lance. That's been your opinion since April. I feel validated by the fact that he got better as the game went on against Houston. Mm-hmm. He sure did. Like the whole idea that like you get better as a quarterback, the more you play like that theory bore a little bit of fruit. I'll be, but then again, Trevor Lawrence kind of stunk all year. So Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, he played on, I've got, I'm joking. He's on a bad team with a bad coaching staff. I was doing a joke and no, uh, you want no to do- other good players on the offense. James Robinson, sure, good player, right? You know, uh, I'll like think the Niners' else. offense is pretty loaded. Lavisca no. Chenault, the next Debo Samuel, per draft analyst in 2020. Sure, totally. everybody, everybody uh, was like, I remember after the the 2019 season, like everybody was, all the draft coverage was like, could this guy be the next Debo Samuel? Like every, single it's going to get worse now. By the way, it's going to get worse. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it might be, it might be overstated, but I think Debo Samuel could end up being like, when we think about positionless football, mm-hmm. like I think that's going to be a trend next year. Is there going to be teams are going to be finding guys that are awesome with the balls in their hands with the ball in their hands. <laughs> uh, I need to clean it up. That's twice. And, <laughs> and, uh, and just use them like, you know, as a receiver, as a running back or whatever. Yeah, you saw Cordero Patterson, Debo Samuel. I, I'm, I'm with you. I bet the Rams get a guy like that this year. Yeah, in this like in this year's in this year's draft, they kind of do everything gadget guy. Uh, let's do pick six. Yeah. Yep. Tyler, the, the please do the um do the honors. All right, it's pick six. The honors, yeah, that's 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 what this is. Uh, it's pick six. Chris picks three players. I pick three players. That's six. That's where the bit gets its name, and it's three players that we think will have uh, the biggest impact on Sunday's game, or uh, need to have the biggest impact on Sunday's game. It can be statistical output. It can be things we just kind of see. It's totally ambiguous. We're gonna iron this bit out better during the off season, but right now. Um, I believe I have the first pick this week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much the bit needs to be ironed out. It's just like guys we think who are going to be important and tell the story of the game. That's sort of how I look at it, which allows no, us but- to go like hipster picks and take like DJ Jones because we think he's going to like we like the matchup against the center or whatever. Yeah, no, that's I'm I'm totally with you there, but I want to win something. Okay, you want there to be stakes. We need we need stuff on the line. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we and can with get a that comes Yeah, if you want to sponsor this segment, let us know. Hit up Tyler. <laughs> yeah. 
You can call him it. I'm joking. Um, all right. I'm going to do the first pick this week. And I think if the 49ers are going to have, I'm not even going to discuss players in the secondary because everybody's on the COVID list right now. So we'll pass that. And I think this is now becomes especially true, but I'm going to go Nick Bosa number one, because I think the Rams are going to have a great plan for Bosa and trying to eliminate him. But if the 49ers are going to have any shot to beat the Rams and force Matthew Stafford into some mistakes, Bosa has like, he is their guy on defense and other players have to make plays too, but it starts with him. They built the pass rush. They built the defense around the pass rush. They built the pass rush around him. So this is a huge game. Your best players need to step up in games like this. And I think Nick Bosa needs to have a big game. He's my first pick. It's a good pick. Um, Andrew Whitworth, good player, long in the tooth, pretty good golfer. Um, Looks like Wilson Fisk. Sure. That's a Marvel reference. Here we go. Oh, okay. I don't, yeah, I was, I was going to say, I don't know who that is. Um, but yeah, I, that's a good pick. I mean, Nick Bosa, he's the most important player on the 49ers defense with the secondary being the way that it is. They, um, yeah, they got to make that happen. Like he's got to play well for to to make up. For he has it. to play well when their secondary is healthy, right? Much less when it's under siege. Right. I, I like that pick. Contagious disease. Thanks. Okay, so hmm, I'm gonna go with Debo Samuel. Smart, because I think he's gonna be the guy that I think he's gonna carry the offense on Sunday. I think he's going to be used a lot in the passing game. I think he's going to be used a lot in the running game. I think he's going to be a decoy. Um, And I think that there's, you know, whether or not he gets 160 total yards and two touchdowns is going to determine the game or could go a long way towards determining the game. Like if Debo Samuel has, you know, 40 rushing yards, a rushing touchdown, and then 120 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown, like, you could see the 49ers winning a game under right. those circumstances. Right. Um, so I, uh, I think I, I like, he's one of the best players in the league. I think you utilize, he's kind of the queen on the chessboard and the Rams queen on the chessboard is Jalen Ramsey. And uh, in terms of him being a decoy, like you occupy Jalen Ramsey with Debo Samuel in this game, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. then that potentially opens up the middle of the field for George Kittle. Maybe Brandon Ayuk can get get open. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. And like Jordan said, um, you know, they Jalen Ramsey's a little bit frustrated when he plays the 49ers because the 49ers do a good job of avoiding him. So mm-hmm. what's the Rams game plan going to be in order to make sure that Jalen Ramsey isn't getting avoided? It's probably planning him on Debo Samuel. So whether yeah. or not Debo Samuel gets that production, he's going to be a huge component of the offense, either right. as somebody who's getting the ball a lot or somebody who's who's occupying Jalen Ramsey. So spinning off of that, because I think you're right, Kyle Shanahan's MO as a play caller is finding a team's weakness or creating a weakness in a defense, whether it's with mismatches or with 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 numbers advantages. And then pounding that weakness over and over and over again. So I think you're right. I think the Rams are going to want to eliminate 
Debo Samuel by putting Jalen Ramsey on him and ensuring that the ball doesn't go his way. And when that happens, that means it's George Kittle time. And the Rams don't have anybody except for maybe Jalen Ramsey uh, who can guard George Kittle. In his last two games, Kittle, five targets, three catches, 50 yards, no touchdowns. In weeks 11 and 12 against Jacksonville, Minnesota, he was six targets, five catches, 47 yards and a touchdown. And then you remember after those two slow games, he went nine for 181 and two, 13 for 151 and one over his next two weeks. I think he is going to have a monster game like that because of all the things you just mentioned with Debo. I think the Rams are going to, and Debo just plays really well against the Rams. He just always seems to have like a big run and a touchdown. And uh, I, I just, I think the Rams are going to work very hard to eliminate him. And I think that's going to open some things up for George Kittle and the 49ers are going to recognize a weakness in the Rams defense that uh, Kittle is going to exploit. So I think George Kittle has a huge game. I like it. Thanks. A lot of chalk here. Nick, Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel, George Kittle. Yeah. Like um, literally three of their four best players. <laughs> God, I have such a good hipster pick. Oh, do it. You won't. I have such a good hipster pick. You won't. I'm going to do it. Yes. I don't know if he's been picked yet this year, honestly. Um, oh, I'm going to write down what you're going to say. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> this is really good podcasting. Just awkward. Yeah, hang silence. on. No, no, no. Stop, 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 stop. Okay, go, go, go. <laughs> say it, say it, say it, say it, say it. Daniel Brunskill. Yeah, there it is. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. So what Kyle did was hold up a piece of paper with Brunskill's name on it. Um, I don't think Daniel Brunskill is a particularly good player. And frankly, I'm I'm surprised. I, I shouldn't say surprised because Aaron Banks hasn't just hasn't been good this year or hasn't even had an opportunity to be good. Um, but for whatever reason, Daniel Brunskill plays well against Aaron Donald. And there's it's hard to envision the 49ers winning this game if the Rams get a big day from Aaron Donald. And so Daniel Brunskill is going to be the guy that's going to block Aaron Donald the most, more than likely. And Kyle Shanahan does a good job of, of staying away from Aaron Donald, right? Like whether right. it's it's the passing game or the running game, no, Kyle Shanahan tends to to avoid Aaron Donald from wrecking the game when, when these two team plays. So mm-hmm. I, I think if for the 49ers to win, that has to happen again, obviously, because Aaron Donald's one of the two best players in the league, the best player in the league, the best non-quarterback in the league, however you want to say it. He's a hall of famer. He might be the best defensive lineman ever. Yeah. Um, he's like, right. He's an interior defensive some, lineman. And for some reason, Daniel Brunsko plays well against him. It's it def- it honestly everything. wild. <laughs> it defies you know, everything. It's kind of like I'm going to pull out an old baseball reference that maybe 0% of our listeners are going to get. But Ted Williams is one of the greatest hitters of all time. Last guy to hit 400 for a season. Could not hit this pitcher named Eddie Lopat. Eddie Lopat was very like generic ass pitcher. And Ted Williams just couldn't get him. The pitcher he face, hated facing the most. I think Brady Bonds had that, somebody like that, didn't he? I, I I don't know. 
but I think he uh, did. I forget who it was. If but you if you have that knowledge, let me know because I'd be fascinated to hear it. Uh, the Chris and Kyle baseball hour is now over. Um, but I think that that's there's a little bit of that to it. Like Brunskill, just there's something he does, and something Kyle Shanahan does that just Aaron Donald can't figure out. It's wild. Yeah, Daniel Brunskill. Good thing there's nothing on the line in this in pick six this year because this this could be a this could be no I love it I mean this could be the home run swing for me or it could be my downfall this week I know what we'll do we can put the players in tiers and players in different tiers are worth more points so like Daniel Brunskill would be like the ten point tier like you get ten points if he plays well whereas Debo and Bosa and Kittle are like the one point tier. We could do an auction draft. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so Brunskill, Brunskill at four. For five, I'm going to go chalk again. I'm going three chalkies. Shout out, Doug. Um, <laughs> nice reference. I'm going, thank you. I'm going Elijah Mitchell. Because if the 49ers are going to win, you mentioned if Debo has, you know, 150 all-purpose yards and a couple of touchdowns. If Elijah Mitchell is running for 100 yards and a touchdown... I think the 49ers win. Like, I think that is, that's going to be like one of the key numbers when you're looking at the box score after the game. If Elijah Mitchell is going for a hundred plus, I think it means the Niners offense was really rolling in the passing game in the run game. You saw it, you saw it against Houston. Like he's good in the first half, but in the second half, he really got rolling once the Niners passing game opened up a little bit. So I think if Elijah Mitchell is having a good game, it's not good for just their run game, but I think it means overall their offense is performing well. Yeah, I like it. It's easy. I, there, there isn't a whole lot of analysis in taking a, a running back for one of the the teams right. that's more dependent on the running game than, than any other. Well, but if it was if it was Jeff Wilson Jr., I don't know if I'd I'd pick Jeff Wilson Jr. Like he doesn't he just doesn't have right. the impact that Elijah Mitchell has. Right, and it's sort of no matter who the quarterback is, you can say the 49ers are going to run the ball a lot. Yes. So, um, good pick. Uh, last pick for me, I'm going to go chalk as well. And I'm going to go with the guy who had 15 tackles last week, who was an all-pro last year, uh, who seems like he's playing more like an all-pro now after not playing as well early in the season. And that's Fred Warner. We mentioned, I don't know if we did mention it, the Niners have a pick six in the last three games against the Rams. Warner. Javon Kinlaw. Oh, Javon Kinlaw, that's and right. Jimmy yeah, and then Jimmy Ward, yeah. Um. The 49ers are going to need to force a turnover or two. And I think Fred Warner is going to be, or I think there's a good chance that Fred Warner is one of those guys that, that forces one. And he's going to be around the ball a lot. He's going to be getting the defense in position. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's sort of the emotional leader of the team. Like he's going to be the guy I think that breaks down the huddle and has the emotional speech and whatever, like that stuff. Um, and I, I think Fred Warner is going to be that guy this week if the 49ers win. If the 49ers win, we're going to be talking a lot about the defense because they're not going to be able to win a game where the Rams score 35. Right? Like, if right. if the Rams score 35 points, then it's a wrap. Um, because I don't mm-hmm. think an injured Jimmy Garoppolo or even Trey Lance is going to get anywhere close to that. Right? Like, for the 49ers to win, they need to keep the Rams at, like, 24 points. 
um, right. which means some stops on defense, a turnover here, there, like, so Fred Warner's good chance. He's in the middle of that. So I'm going chalk with my last pick and, and going Fred Warner. I love this. And can I describe exactly how I think a Fred Warner interception would go? Yes, please, please do. He's covering, he's covering Tyler Higby one-on-one in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Pocket breaks down, maybe a well-timed blitz, maybe like a, like a corner blitz or a, a safety blitz. Stafford tries to force one into Tyler Higby in the middle of the field and Fred Warner just steps in front of it. Yeah. Mark it, mark the tape. Maybe That's a, how a, a Samson Ebucam pressure. Okay, I'll dig that. Or a Arden Samson... Key pressure. Arden Key, six sacks. He was gonna be he was gonna be my hipster pick. If you didn't go hipster at four and took Eli, I was gonna go with Arden Key. He's just he's quietly not having like a great year or like a like a whoa sneaky Pro Bowl like just a really solid defensive lineman year. Yes, like rotation player on a really good team. I mean, he's he's everything we thought Kerry Hyder would be. <laughs> um, I mean, he's he he's second on the team in sacks. Yeah, that's wild. It's it's pretty crazy. Like he's he's been a a very effective player for them, particularly after switching him to three technique and pass rushing situations. Um, do we do we do predictions this week? What do you think? Could go either way uh, no. <laughs> so i always i like logic states that the rams should win like that's just they they have aaron donald and cooper cup and jalen ramsey and odell beckham jr cam Akers is back from a torn achilles but even if he's not playing they have daryl henderson and sony michelle and and Matthews, like they just have all these really good players, and they're twelve and four. Are they eleven and five? They're twelve and four. They're twelve and four. Like everything points to them, like winning this game, especially when you consider the Niners' health situation in the secondary. If it's Emmanuel Mosley and Josh Norman, and and maybe like if one of K1 Williams or Dante Johnson or Ambry Thomas clear protocol or Diamador Lenore, but then you're got like practice squad guys. And if Jimmy Ward doesn't play, like that's another big one. Um, if he's not there in the back end of that defense, there's just so many things that could go wrong for the 49ers. Not to mention they've won five in a row against LA. Like winning a sixth one is like, man, it would, it would be hard to fault them for not winning six in a row against this team. That's been really good the last few years. So I think the Rams win. I think they win by like nine or 10, but in a game that in a game that like they score late, like it's right there. Niners need to get a stop and the Rams end up scoring. Um, It's worth noting. I'm often wrong. Um, I have a buddy who is a, a, a sports better. And he said that the line went opened at six and sharp guys jumped on it so quick that it dropped to four and a half, like immediately. Um, so people smarter than me who make money doing this love the 49ers plus six. So, um, you know, it'll probably be closer than I think it'll be, but that's, that's where my head is at going into Sunday. Okay. Um, 
I agree with the idea that it can go either way. 33-23, if you need a score. Go ahead. Gosh. Uh, do I want to predict that the 40... Fine, you predicted a 49ers loss. I'll predict a 49ers win. I'll be the podcast host is. that the listeners like. There it is. Um, You homer. <laughs> I think the, there, there's something to the idea... And I know, you know, the players have sort of downplayed this and they, they probably should. Right. But there's something to the idea that the Niners are a seasoned team and that they have players that have experience in big spots. Right. Like it was just two years ago, mm-hmm. they had the Seattle game and obviously the playoffs weren't on the line then. But essentially, you know, I don't know if the 49ers go to the Super Bowl in 2019 if they're the five seed, if they had lost that sure. game in Seattle. Right. Um, and they played a lot of big games that year. And so I, I think they can lean on that. And yeah, you can say the Rams could, could lean on that too. Cause they went to the Super Bowl in, in 2018. Um, and there, there are certainly some players that are, that were on that team that are still there, but how much do you trust Matt Stafford in a big spot? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, He's a good player, but he's also been throwing a lot of interceptions recently. And if we know anything about the 49ers, that if they they can get turnovers, they're a tough team to beat. If the 49ers are turning the ball over, conversely, they have a hard time winning games. So in this spot, I don't know that I trust Matt Stafford. I don't know that I trust Sean McVay against Kyle Shanahan in the big spot because for whatever reason, and I can't put my finger on it, I do think Kyle Shanahan is in Sean McVay's head, and I think both of them know it. And Mm -hmm. look, I went into the Monday night game in November thinking the Rams were going to blow the 49ers' doors off, and that was Mm going to be the game that was essentially what the Rams 49ers game in October of 2019 was when it was like the Niners went down to LA thumped the Rams after not really beating anybody that convinced the 49ers were a good team at that point they beat the Mm -hmm. Rams and then it was sort of the 49ers arrival and I thought that's what would happen only it would be the inverse this year the Rams would come beat the 49ers and it would highlight all the 49ers issues that they're going through at the time as a three and five team and then the Rams would catapult themselves towards that contender status right and -hmm. so it hasn't worked out that way necessarily but i just don't know like i i say that to say i don't i don't trust the rams like i don't you know matt stafford just hucking the ball downfield to odell beckham jr when he was double covered and it going right to jimmy ward was just like that was just weird yeah what are you doing i was like what the fake field goal right the fake field goal that that was a bad sean mcveigh call like so, so that and that's that's where I feel like there's a little bit of like here we go again potential. If right. Stafford does throw an early pick and the Niners just get behind their run game, it's like you could see it snowballing really quick for LA. Yeah, and the 49ers, I mean what the 49ers have to do, they need to get off to a hot start, right? Like the Tennessee game. That's it. They go down and score. And then they probably should have gone down and scored again, but they didn't because they turned it over in the end zone. But like they need to get off to one of those starts where they put points on the board in their first two possessions and then see if things can unravel for the Rams. And then the 49ers need to capitalize on that, right? 
And so I, I do think there's that possibility because as good as the Rams are and as talented as they are, like Odell Beckham Jr. has been there half a season. Von Miller has been there half a season. It's not, you know, it's, it's really difficult to incorporate major parts of your team in the middle of a year for big moments. And that's not to say it can't happen, but they're relying on, you know, Cam Akers coming back from an Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're relying on guys who haven't been there throughout the entirety of the year. And that can be potentially tough. Now, obviously the big factor for the 49ers is a quarterback situation. And we have no idea what that's going to look like, but in a way that could also benefit Kyle Shanahan because the Rams don't know what that's going to look like either. And Kyle mm-hmm. Shanahan could be devising all sorts of stuff that, that they're not necessarily going to be prepared for, whether it's <clears throat> Trey Lance or the two quarterback system or whatever. The, I mean, what, what's funny is like the case, there's a case to be made that Jimmy Garoppolo is the best option given his experience and knowledge of the offense and all that stuff. But that's also the most predictable quarterback the Rams could face. Like mm-hmm. they know what they're going against in Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but I, I think in terms of a team you trust in a big spot, I think I trust the 49ers in a big spot, despite the fact that there have been so many disappointing moments in big spots throughout the season. I just think locker room culture, cohesion, 2019 stuff, like they, they have the guys in the room to go down there and win a game. Yeah, it's te- uh, Lewis Riddick put it this way on Monday Night Football. It's team building versus talent collecting. Like oh, the Rams wow. have accumulated, the Rams have accumulated a lot of talent. The 49ers have built a team. And in a spot like this, where both teams need it, when something goes awry, like something's going to go wrong. It's how do you respond to that? And I could, I could totally see the Niners being the team that, you know, early mistake, early couple of mistakes, um, overcome. I could see the Niners overcoming it more than I could see the Rams doing it. So, yeah, I agree with I that. And I also think the Rams are so. great point. I hadn't even thought of that. Wow. There's and only Tom Compton red. and Tom Compton, who over the last four weeks is PFF's highest graded tackle. Is that real? Just ahead of, just ahead of Trent Williams. Did you look that up? Is that was that a real tweet? I don't know. Okay, there was a tweet that I don't have Twitter said... on my phone anymore. <laughs> there was a tweet that said Tom Comp from PFF. I think it was like PFF Buffalo, like the build the the account that tracks the Bills. Tom Compton was has been higher a higher grade than Trent Williams since week thirteen, which seems unfathomable to me. But PFF grades never lie. So that's true. They are gospel. <laughs> yep. That is from the official PFF underscore bills account. Is it a verified account? No, but it's the PFF built like it's the, the same one as the PFF Niners account. So that would be I mean, it would be like an ultimate troll job. Like somebody just randomly saying, yeah, Tom Compton, best tackle in the league over the last five weeks. Tom Compton, 92.3. Trent Williams, 90.9. Deion Dawkins, 90.2. We've talked about Trent Williams as like, is he the best player in the league? And should he can get, you know, offensive player of the year consideration? Like, what about Tom Compton? (laughs) It's a great point. You know what he's done, Chris? He's put it together when it matters. In the big moments. 
took his Pro Bowl snub and said, look, I'm coming after that all pro nod. <laughs> I'm going to go now. Yeah, let's get out of here. <laughs> On that note, goodbye, everyone. Subscribe, rate, and review if you have not. We'll be back with a pod for you on Monday, either looking ahead to a playoff game or uh, trying to figure out what went wrong. And I'm sure it'll be a lot of, a lot of non, a lot of quarterback stuff. Maybe <laughs> we might talk about the quarterback situation for once. Okay, goodbye. Let's All right, go. See I need to work on getting the podcast. All right, great. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.